Alright, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're at tonight. And I want you to notice what it says in verse 1. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto Him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except... Uh, there come a falling away first, and that men of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And the title of my message tonight is, Let No Man Deceive You. And I, wanna, I want you to focus on that verse, which says, Let No Man Deceive You. And then it goes on to say, by, Not by any means, or by any means, don't let anyone deceive you. And one of the things we're going to see in this passage, too, are specifically some of the means that people would use to deceive people about the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto Him. He, want, he did not want them to be deceived because there are things associated with that that are a danger, that are a potential problem. And so when it comes to this subject of Christ's returns, it is, obviously, it's one that's of great interest to all Christians as it should be. Every Christian is interested in the subject of the return of Christ. They're interested in future things. It's a very... Uh, appropriate thing to be uh, concerned about or to wonder about. But because of this great interest in it, it is something that false prophets are going to use to deceive and to slip in their damnable heresies. And so we must be vigilant when it comes to these things. Some of the most popular speakers out there are typically prophecy preachers. And it's amazing some of these prophecy gurus, some of the crazy doctrines that they are able to bring in. One of the reasons Ruckmanites have been able to bring in a lot of their crazy heresies is because they often speak about end times. And people are interested in that. And so if they're good at making it sound interesting, if they are you know, going along with the party line on most stuff, people will listen to what they have to say. And it won't even matter to them. If they are wrong on salvation, even if they teach things that are damnable concerning salvation, you got a lot of people because they're defending their eschatology, they'll put up with it. And people will get more upset with you messing with their eschatology than their soteriology, which is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But don't get me going on just the politics of doctrine. And uh, folks... Most, or I don't know if I should say most, but a lot of people out there today, their doctrinal position is not based on conviction, but political motivation. They have politically aligned themselves with the group. Therefore, they dress a certain way. They talk a certain way. They preach a certain way. And as soon as they align with a different group politically, every one of those things were changed up to people literally even losing their southern accents. I have known multiple preachers who thick southern accent preach like a camp meeting preacher and then all of a sudden they start hanging out with Calvinists and they don't have a southern accent anymore. What in the world? Listen, if God blessed you with a southern accent, use your southern accent. But why can't a Calvinist preach with a southern accent? I don't, I don't understand why you got to lose that. These guys, too, that preached in camp meetings and are now skinny jean trendies don't have a southern accent anymore. It, it blows my mind. And it would be weird watching a guy in skinny jeans preaching with a southern accent. Cause, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it was, it's all political, folks. It's all political with these people. And I, I, I don't like it. But as a result, because of that, it is. It's gotten very easy for people, even into Baptist churches, to just creep in and teach a lot of heresy. And so I want you to notice what Paul said when he made that statement about let no man deceive you by any means. And there will be multiple ways false prophets will try to deceive people when it comes to the subject of the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto Him. And so what are those means? Because... One thing you're going to find out, Satan never really uses any new tricks. It's always just the same old tricks repackaged. And so we're going to look at some of these tonight and talk about these means that he will use to try to deceive people. And so the first thing, and this is the main thing that we need to remember, and I think we all get this here, but the main thing is he will try to deceive people into accepting another Christ. We see in verse 3, 
He said, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Before the coming of our Lord and our gathering together, before the day of Christ, which some are even going as far now, is to say that's not the rapture. Which, I mean, again, it's, it's like, if you, you know, uh, I don't know if you saw the, docu- uh, the trailer for the Temple documentary. But Robert Cornuka in there, he said if, it's like a pin in the map. If you get a pin in the wrong place, everything else is going to be wrong. And he was saying that about archaeology and geographical stuff. But it's the same thing, too, in doctrine. If you have certain doctrinal pins in the wrong place, you're going to judge other things based on the location of that pin. And if that location is wrong, everything else is going to be wrong. And the reason we hear so many bad interpretations of 2 Thessalonians 2 is because they put the day of Christ or gathering together in the wrong spot. And so anything goes. Any, anything goes with it. And it's just amazing the variety of opinions there are about this. But it's very clear the man of sin or son of perdition, he is going to be revealed before the Antichrist comes. But understand too, the man of sin or son of perdition, he will be preceded by many false Christs or Antichrists. In 1 John 2.18 it says, Little children, it is the last time as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it is the last time. So, folks, this being deceived by Antichrist, we need to remember, this is not just something that that final generation has to worry about. This is something they were supposed to worry about even back then, because that spirit of Antichrist was already at work in Paul's day. It was already at work in John's day. John said, we know we're in the last days because there's already, there's already many Antichrists. And so we know it's the last days. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, in verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Jesus also prophesied to the many antichrists, and that started in his day. That started in that day. So, folks, just like the antichrist is dangerous, did you know the many antichrists are dangerous too? And they're, they're all bad. And we're often so distracted by the main Antichrist, we often ignore the many Antichrists that have been sending the people to hell for centuries. How about the popes? Folks, the Pope, it, I don't believe the Pope is the Antichrist, but the Pope is an Antichrist, without a doubt. For sure, every Catholic priest who pretends to be a mediator between God and man, every Catholic priest that pretends to forgive you of your sins and absolve you of your sins and that you people depend on for last rites and things, they are antichrists. And we have many people, we talk to people today that literally are under the influence of the many antichrists that we have been warned about. We And think about it, everybody in our country, they all know about the antichrist. They all know about the, the biggest bad guy in the history of the world. The Antichrist is going to come. Everybody knows about him. Everybody's familiar with the Left Behind books. Even Catholics like the Left Behind books. Even in the Left Behind books, the Pope got raptured. You know, he, now, he, now this one was radical. He was radical and he was kind of like Martin Luther and teaching faith, you know, faith without works and stuff like that. He was a radical Pope. Yeah, he got raptured too. And, and so obviously that wasn't even offensive to Catholics. But everybody knows about the Antichrist. They've, they've watched the Left Behind movies and stuff too that have come out there. They know he's a bad guy, but we're all worried about that big Antichrist that's going to come. Well, in the meantime, we've had Antichrist in every town all over America since the founding of this country. The, the, the Catholics, the priests, all these false religions that are teaching this other way of salvation. Think about this too. Not only are Catholics, not only is the Pope Antichrist, but think about this. What about people who have literally changed who Jesus is and are teaching another Jesus. How is that not Antichrist? We think this, this, this warning to let no man deceive you. Paul clearly was concerned that these people could be deceived into believing on, on another Christ 
or an Antichrist, but we always just think about the Antichrist. We'll not be deceived by the Antichrist. Well, of course, when he comes along, it's telling us to take the mark. But listen, people have been being deceived by Antichrist since this time. It is, it is a big problem. And we do, we often ignore these local Antichrists because we're paying too much attention to the main one, to the big one. And think about it, these local Antichrists, they often end up deceiving the most zealous among us. That's why we have so many crazy cults out there. And let me tell you something too about zeal. I've been meaning to preach a message about zeal. Zeal is a good thing and it is a wonderful thing, but zeal can often be a problem too because it, uh, it, usually your biggest villains and your biggest heroes are your most zealous people. People who are very zealous are usually very zealous in their sin. But the great thing is if you can get them saved, they're usually zealous in their works for God too. You want to talk about somebody who is zealous, saved and unsaved? The Apostle Paul. Paul was very zealous as a Jew to where he's killing Christians. But he was also very zealous as a Christian and got a lot of people saved. That's why if we can get some of these Muslims before they blow themselves up to get saved, you know, you get some of those guys saved who would blow themselves up for Allah. What do you think they do for Jesus? If we can get them saved. You know, I wouldn't mind. I'd still be kind of, you know, keeping an eye on them. But <laughs> you know, just, in, just in case. But either way, zeal is a wonderful thing if you use it properly, if it's in its proper place. But it is, it's often your zealous types that are not very stable, they're usually the most likely to join the cults because they always want the extreme of everything because that's who they are. They're zealous. They want the most extreme of everything. They often go off into craziness. And it's sad. We, we, we want those zealous people on our side. We want those people being zealous for Christ. We want them being zealous of good works. We want them being zealous about the gospel. And so the greatest, again, the greatest Christians, the greatest villains, they often have that common attribute and that is zeal and unfortunately there are there's a lot of zealous people who would they would be wonderful christians they would be wonderful blessings if we can get them saved but unfortunately they have been deceived by antichrist and these are people in our local areas that we've been living among each other for years and we are we're so worried we've been so focused on for the last 50 years and i say 50 years for a reason I'm telling you, 1970s messed everybody up on eschatology. I'm sorry, 1970s messed everyone up. It started before that, but it got popularized big time in the 70s. And you're not going to convince me different of that. That's when people really got messed up. And since then, thanks to you know, late great planet Earth, thanks to Thief in the Night movies and all that, we got so obsessed over this new villain. That's going to come along. And folks, I believe, I, I believe in a coming Antichrist. I believe in the beast. I believe in the son of perdition and the Nikolai Carpathia or whatever you want to call him. I, I believe in him. Okay. I believe that he's, I believe that he's going to come. But in, in the meantime, we have ignored the many Antichrists among us that have been sending people we know in our communities to hell forever. We need it. We need to call these people out. We need, we need to deal with these people. And stop just obsessing over the one big guy. This threat that Paul warned about was one that was a danger in that day. It was something Jesus warned about. He said there's going to be many antichrists. And think about how many churches obsessed over the antichrist while ignoring all the antichrists around them. And isn't it interesting too how obviously, you know, there's, there's two people you're allowed to hate in the world. Hitler and the antichrist, Right? You know, even even your most liberals will tell you that's okay, but yet we're not allowed to hate any of the anti many antichrists, are we? Oh, how dare you say something about you know the you know that Catholic priest? He's really nice. You know, he hangs out at the bar with us and gets drunk with us. You know, it's like like no, we absolutely should hate and despise the antichrist, and we should hate and despise antichrist because they're deceiving people, they are destroying people. Another thing too, so Jesus said, let no man deceive me. And I, and I do, I, I like to think we're safe when it comes to the Antichrist. But I say all this to just, just remind everybody, let's keep paying attention to the many Antichrists. Because we might not live to see the Antichrist, but we are seeing the many Antichrists. And they are our enemies. They will continue to be our enemies. We will never join up with these people. We're not gonna, we're not gonna get involved in ecumenicalism. That is opening things up for the Antichrist. 
So another thing he will do, he will try to deceive by redefining the coming of Christ or our gathering together. Look what it says in verse 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now, folks, you are not going to convince me. All right. Any pre-tribbers listening to this, you are not going to convince me that the coming of our Lord and our gathering together is not the rapture. You're not going to convince me of that, that he mentioned. I beseech you by the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto him. You are not going to convince me that is not the rapture. And also, you're not going to convince me that if that is not the rapture, that when he says, and then shall that wicked be revealed, talking about the man of sin, the son of perdition, that wicked with a capital W, shall be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. If that is, if that is our, if that's a rapture, in verse 1, when it says our coming, then that's the rapture in verse 8, when it mentions the brightness of His coming. But again, brightness of His coming, that doesn't look like, that doesn't look like the Left Behind movie where everybody just disappeared. Uh, but folks, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach a disappearing. It teaches a transformation. That's a big difference. Okay, A big difference. It doesn't teach teleporting. It teach, teaches a transformation. We will be changed in a moment. It will not disappear. It's not, that's not what it says. So what people are doing today, they are, they are changing what the coming of the Lord is to deceive. And so Paul goes on in this passage to make it clear that Jesus is visibly coming back and he's going to destroy the son of perdition. When Jesus Christ returns, and let, and let me just, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but let me just make it clear for those who are trying to label me a partial preterist, okay, which everybody's partial preterist, to a certain extent, but they do that because preterist is a bad word. Because preterists are the people who teach that Jesus already came back in 70 AD. Baloney. And, let me, and here's proof that that is baloney. Jesus made it very clear that when He returns, we will know it. Okay? When Jesus returns, He will know it. Paul is doing the same thing here that we're going to watch. see Jesus do in Matthew 24. Keep your finger in Matthew 24. So Paul said, even Him who's coming is after the working of Satan. Or I'm sorry, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of His mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of His coming. Okay? When Christ returns, it's going to be, it's, He's going to light up the sky. The sun's going to be darkened first. The moon turned to blood. It's just making way the sky's preparing for the entrance of Jesus Christ who is going to light things back up. He's going to come in brightness in power, in great glory. And, and, and I, I, know, I know what the preacher... That's second advent. That's second advent. It's in my dispensational books. It's in, it's in all my charts. Folks, there's, there's no doubt what he's talking about here unless we're just going to throw out all the context. But look, in Matthew 24, 29, it says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven... And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the one end of heaven to the other. Now, folks, what would be a good title for this event where Jesus appears in the sky with power and great glory? I think we should come up with a title today. Okay, in Matthew 24, it talks about Jesus appearing in the sky with power and great glory. Well, here, let's see if we can find some ideas in the Bible. How about Titus 2.11? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. How about glorious appearing? Did you, but did you know 
many pre-tribbers are telling you the blessed hope and the glorious appearing are two different events. Now, why are they doing that? Because they need it to be a different event. Because when he says glorious appearing right there, that looks kind of like what we see in Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus is coming, he appears with power and great glory, and where he gathers together his elect. He gathers together. That, see, where, where did I hear that word before? Oh, yeah, in 2 Thessalonians, I beseech you by the coming of our Lord and our gathering together unto him. Come on, folks. Our get, the coming of our Lord, our gathering together unto Him. And here we have in Matthew 24, Jesus coming in the clouds with power and great glory, glorious appearing, sending His angels to gather His elect. I mean, I'll just say rapture. Rapture. That way, we can separate it from that. Again, I know what people mean with the rapture, but I, I understand why they want to use a theological term and want to use a Latin word. Our Bible didn't even come from Latin. But yet, that's what everybody wants to use. Why? It's to distract. Because there's no doubt this is talking about the same thing. 1 John 2.28 I, I still think glorious appearing is a different event. Well, 1 John 2.28 And now little children abide in Him that when He shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at, at His coming. If His glorious appearing is seven years after the rapture, why would we be ashamed after we have been glorified? There's no reason for us to be ashamed at His appearing if we're already glorified at that point. No, His appearing is when we see Him. And then we're going to be changed. And then we're going to be glorified. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Amen. We're already saved right now. But, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Okay, we haven't changed yet. 1 Corinthians 15 hasn't happened yet. Behold, I show you mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That hasn't happened yet. But, uh, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You know what that says? That's, that's showing us changing when He appears. And are you going to tell me that's not the glorious appearing? Are you really going to tell me that's not the glorious appearing? Somebody tell me that's not the glorious appearing. Uh, it's appearing, but it's not the glorious one. How is it not going to be glorious? He literally glorifies us. He literally transforms us. But no, people are so set on their theology that you just can't change them with clear Scripture. You, you can't do it. How about Colossians 3, 4? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Are we going to try to say that that's not the glorious appearing? When Christ appears and we appear in glory, that's not the glorious appearing? Folks, that is the glorious appearing. That absolutely is the glorious appearing. But folks, none of that looks like what the movies have portrayed. Hey, on a thief in the night, everybody's just going about their day. A little girl's walking the street with her doll. Guy's out mowing his grass. Camera goes up in the air. No clouds. Just like the song, like that bright and cloudless morning. Even though I thought the Bible says we'll be caught together with them in the clouds. But, again, you know, who cares what the Bible says? Well, this is what the movie is. This, they put it, it burned it in everybody's brains in the 70s. All of a sudden, you know, the guy's gone. The mower's just still sitting there running. Mine, obviously, if you let go of it, it shut off. But, you know, his kept, his kept running for some reason. Little girl or dolls laying there, clothes laying there on the ground. So, uh, yeah, that does... that image does not look like what we are seeing in Matthew 24 and what we see in all these other passages. So people do. They have tried to make the Bible teach an event that looks like the Thief in the Night movie. That looks like the Left Behind movie. They have people's... What is in people's mind did not come from the Scriptures. It came from movies. It came from books Fictional books like the Left Behind series. And whenever you see these passages where Jesus is coming in power and glory, the brightness of His coming, all these things, they're like, that can't be the rapture. Rapture is supposed to just happen at any moment where you just vanish. You know, but that's not what the Bible teaches. So, theologians have made the coming of Christ something that we won't see coming. In fact, they've made it something we won't even see. 
No, we're going to see him. A trumpet's going to blast. It's not going to be a dog whistle that only say people like the say people are only going to hear. No, he's going to. There's going to be a trumpet blast. We are going to hear it, and he's going to send his angels to gather his elect. How are they going to know which ones are his elect? Because when we see him, we're going to be like him. We're going to shine like the brightness of a firmament. It talks about in Daniel chapter twelve. And so they they believe we've been commanded to watch, but they've been teaching that there's nothing to watch for. No, there are things to watch for. No, he he told them in their watching, he gave them some things to watch for. And that's what he's doing in Matthew 24. He's telling them the things to watch out for. They want to know about his coming, but he's warning them, hey, let no man deceive you. In the meantime, while you're waiting for my coming, there's some things that are going to happen. Here's some things that are going to happen. Here's some things you need to watch out for. And by the way, I told you, you need to watch. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. He gave us things to watch for. But what are we being told today? The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. There's nothing, no more signs. Folks, absolutely nothing. I'm talking about nothing. Absolutely I want you to think of the most nothing thing that you can think of. And that amount of nothing. I'm talking about... I, I want you to think about the brains in Joe Biden's head. And I'm telling you, that much nothing has to happen before Jesus Christ could return. That's what they tell you all the time. But you know what? You better be watching. What does that mean? You know, I just look outside and you always you know, watch up in the sky. And then, and then, when they're preaching another sermon, keep an eye on Israel. That's what you're supposed to be watching. Watch Israel. You know, pay attention to what's going on there. Did you hear what Netanyahu did the other day? Did you hear what's going on over there the other day? Hey, I, I, I just got... Somebody sent me today. Hey, hey, there was a Jewish man just this week tried taking a lamb to sacrifice it on the Temple Mount. They stopped him. It's got to mean something. It's got to mean something, ladies and gentlemen. I, I don't know what it means. But you better be watching. Pay attention to Israel. God's not done with Israel. Support Israel. Let's send them more money. I just, I, I have, I don't, I don't. It drives me crazy. But they, they've, they're cha- said they're saying there's. It, it, it all depends. One day there's nothing to watch for. The next day, watch Israel. It, it, it's absolutely frustrating. So they believe we've been commanded to watch. There's nothing to watch for. But the more sinister changes are those from like your full preterists. Who would teach the heresy of Hymenaeus and Philetus, like we see in 2 Timothy 2.16, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase into more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth the canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. And folks, that is a heresy to teach that the resurrection already happened. To teach that it came, Jesus Christ returned in 70 A.D. There's no such thing as a rapture. That is a great heresy to teach that. And let me tell you, a lot of people are going to that right now. And there's a good reason. And you want to know why a lot of people are going into that right now? A lot of it is because it is being the the pre-tribbers are being taken to the woodshed about Daniel's 70th week. They've been taught wrong on that. They've been, they've been using dispensational terminology for a long time that is very flawed. And they are so stuck in, in their bad teaching and their bad terminology. People are coming along and they're taking them to the woodshed. They're taking them to the woodshed on all the things that did get fulfilled in 70 AD. They're, they're getting taken to the woodshed because futurists are making Matthew 24 and the Olivet Discourse all about the future ignoring the first century interpretation of that. Not understanding. No, we only make application from that. Interpretation. They're, they're getting taken to the woodshed on that. And they're, they're not willing to correct anything that they're getting wrong. And so in the meantime, these full preterists are coming along and they can't prove what they're teaching either, but they are disproving, or they're all, they are proving that what a lot of your pre-tribbers are saying is completely foolish. And so a lot of people are like, well, you know, you know what they're doing? They're saying, where is the promise of his coming? Just like Peter warned about. And it's a shame that that's happening, but it is happening. And these people are wrong. No, Jesus said, let no man deceive you. He made it clear when I return, you're going to know it. And let me tell you something. Don't believe the Rachmanite dispensational lie that Paul revealed the rapture. That is a lie that people tell you. Let me tell you something. Paul revealed details about the changed body, 
that were not previously understood. But the event of Christ returning, Paul did not reveal that. That was, there was, that was talked about in Psalms. That was talked about by Jude. That was talked, that was talked about by, by many of the Old Testament prophets. And it was talked about by Jesus as well. But they want to do that because it fits their dispensational timelines they've come up with. But 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all disappear. No, we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. And we don't have time to go through all 1 Corinthians 15, but Paul is dealing with those who teach that there is no resurrection of the dead. Kind of like some of the full preterists. They teach there's no resurrection of the dead. And Paul said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And so he's answering things. You know, because people are wondering, if the dead rise, what body do they come back with? Is it going to be one like this? Is it going to be, you know, like the night of the living dead and you're the walking dead or whatever, where everybody comes up all rotten and stuff? No. They're going to, their body is going to be changed. It's going to be glorified. When Christ returns, we're going to see Him and we're going to be like Him. Those who are in the graves, they are going to rise from the graves. They're going to rise from the dead. They're going to see Him and they will be transformed as well too. What about those that have been cremated? What about those the worms have eaten? Hey, I don't know what's gonna. Ha- I don't know how it's all gonna work. But guess what? God's gonna take care of it. And even Job, even Job understood that. In Job nineteen twenty three, he said, "Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book." And they were better than being carved in stones. Says that they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Job understood. He was, Paul only revealed certain details. But Job believed God. Obviously, God had revealed it to him that one day the Redeemer was going to live which sounds like he was going to die as well. And he said that he's going to stand at the latter day upon the earth. That he's going to stand there. And he said, even though worms are going to destroy this body and my flesh, I'm going to see God. He believed in a physical resurrection. He didn't understand how it was all going to work. He didn't understand the glorified body like we do today. Paul revealed that, but without a doubt, and this is why they, this is why they don't want to call it another great term to call the rapture instead of the rapture is the resurrection. They don't want you to call it the resurrection. If you call it the resurrection, you might go to Daniel chapter 12 and associate the rapture with that, which you should. You might go to a lot of other places. You might go to Revelation chapter 20 where it says that those who, we looked at this morning, those who didn't take the mark and were beheaded, and it, says the, uh, it said um, that they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years, but the rest of the dead... Live not until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The first resurrection. The first resurrection, those who are beheaded for not taking the mark, participate in that. And you're going to tell me the first resurrection is after our resurrection? Shouldn't ours be the first resurrection? And that's when they go into a lot of their dispensational nonsense don't have time to get into. Uh, But... Without a doubt, people understood this. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, That in Isaac shall they see be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. God gave Isaac to Abraham as a figure, as a, as a parable, as a picture of Jesus Christ. And Abraham believed God could raise him from the dead, even though no one had ever risen from the dead at that point. But yet Abraham believed in a resurrection of the dead before Paul revealed it. Before Jesus ever, ever came and died, buried, and was rose again. Because God revealed these things to Abraham. And so, understand, there people, many false prophets today are trying to change 
what the coming of Christ is going to look like. Don't let them deceive you with that. And we've literally have people, and we're going to go into this a little bit, that are are trying to act like the rapture came in 70 AD. And let me tell you, we're going to read it. If that was the rapture, if that was a glorious appearing, it wasn't very glorious. I mean, Paul really overstated that event. If that was if that was it. We're going to look at it and check and see if the rapture already happened or whatever. But another thing that they are, that uh, false prophets will deceive you about, that Paul warned about, that Jesus warned about, is he will deceive people about the consequences of sin. Folks, when Jesus returns and begins to pour his wrath out on this world, he's doing it because he's... Obviously, he's mad, but he's not just mad that they didn't get saved. The Bible specifically mentions many of those sins that they did, and they're going to be in trouble for it. The Sodomites are going to get in big trouble for being Sodomites. And many other, and every sin that's out there. It says in Matthew, or on 2 Thessalonians 2.10, "...and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved." And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know why men love darkness rather than light? Because their deeds are evil. You know why they won't come to the light? Lest their deeds should be reproved. Those who are out there, not willing to pay attention, not willing to listen. Listen, there's a lot. When we go to many people's houses, we are, we are bringing light and they understand that, but they immediately turn away from that light because they don't want to be convicted of their sins. They don't want to feel bad about those things. They want to enjoy the pleasures of sin. And because of that, they're not interested in Christ. They don't want to even, they don't even want to hear about it. They are being deceived about their sin and they have no idea the wrath of God is going to come on them if they are not cleansed from that sin, if they do not get saved. They don't understand that. And it says that God's going to send them a strong delusion because they believe that lie. And so, Understand, these false prophets, they lie about the consequences of sin. They want people to think that they are a Christian. They want people to think that things are good between them and God. And that's why they're just, we have these churches that basically teach any God is okay. How is that not Antichrist? You have these all faiths church, which is becoming more and more popular. That is the dumbest thing ever. But yet they're doing that. Don't worry about sin. Don't sweat it. We have, we have churches with bag flags out there that have their all are welcome sign. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Not realizing God is going to destroy people for these things. We see in Matthew 24, it says, And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. They're always going to promote sin. They're always going to try to keep people in their sin. And not only will he deceive many before the rapture, but those who were deceived will never come out of that deception. Because look what it says in verse 11, and for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And let me tell you something. There's not a lot of evidence of people getting saved after the rapture. It is... I. I personally think some people will. I, I, I kind of do. But at the same time, just like we were joking about before church, I can preach it either way. <laughs> I mean, because, I, I, you know, for, for example, we don't see anyone getting saved when God's pouring out His wrath on the world. Most of what people teach about people getting saved comes from the 144,000. And because everybody's teaching this revival with the Jews. That's what's motivating most people to teach all that. But in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20, says, And the rest of the men which are not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornications, nor of their thefts. So while all these horrible things are coming while God's pouring out His wrath, what does it say? They're not repenting of anything. They're not repenting. I mean, it seems like they would if God's doing all that, but not, that's not what they're doing. It sounds like they have a strong delusion. Why would somebody, after they've seen Jesus Christ return, and they know He's pouring out His wrath, and they're saying, hide us from the face of Him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, why would they not repent? 
I mean, fire and brimstone won't get you to repent. It won't for a reprobate. It won't for those who have been given over to a reprobate mind. That's, and understand, God's given a strong delusion. Revelation 16, 8, And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not to give him glory. They know who's doing this to them. Oh, they're going to think it's aliens. No, they're not. The Bible's clear. They're going to see Jesus. They're going to say, hide us, not from the aliens, hide us from the, the Lamb. The wrath of the Lamb and Him that sitteth on the throne. That's what, they're, that's what they're going to say. And the fifth angel poured out His vial upon the seed of the beast and His kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongue for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and repented not of their deeds. So again, I, I think it's not just spelled out no one can get saved. I'm just saying it's highlighting the fact that people aren't repenting during this time. And it was like, well, in Second Thessalonians, it's those who had pleasure. You know, there's going to be those who are in Yeah. Obviously, they could. I think it's possible. Let me just tell you, no one should wait. No one should wait. I don't... Oh, if I see the rapture come tomorrow, then I'll get saved. I wouldn't recommend that. Okay? I, I wouldn't recommend that. Well, if I see the Antichrist rise like you post-tribbers believe, you know, then I'll, I'll get saved after that. Hey, if you won't believe when God's raining down fire and brimstone and scorching men with heat and doing all these other things, you're not going to if, they, if the Antichrist comes on the scene tomorrow and they implement the mark of the beast or something. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So, but understand, these Antichrists, they're going to lie about the consequences of sin. In fact, and another thing too they will do, they will change the gospel as well. Antichrist, change the gospel. Second Thessalonians 2, 4 says, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And let me tell you, you cannot pervert the gospel any more than literally changing it to someone other than Jesus. You can't pervert it any more than that. He's literally teaching, I am God. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. That, for sure, is a false gospel. And again, don't be deceived by ecumenicalism. Ecumenicalism might seem in some ways contrary to the Antichrist agenda, but understand the purpose of ecumenicalism is to condition people for compromise. And it's exactly what it's doing. And let me tell you, they will have no problem believing in one God as long as it isn't Jesus. They won't. Everybody's wanting to unite. Everybody's already trying to say we all have the same God. Everybody's trying to say that. And let me tell you, even if we did all have the same God, it wouldn't matter if you don't have Jesus because you can only get to God through Jesus Christ. So I don't care if they're all worshiping Jehovah God. I don't care if they're worshiping the same God we are. If they, I don't even care if they believe in Jesus. If they're not trusting in Jesus to get them to God, they're not going to make it. And so I would not be surprised at all if the religions all unite around a God, but they will replace Jesus. They will with an Antichrist. And you know what? Do not be deceived by that. Do not be deceived by the date setters and the sensationalists out there. Look at says in Second Peter two six or Second Thessalonians two six. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Now, what is that time? I don't know. I don't know when the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Neither does Robert Breaker. He'll, he'll make another video in 2024. You know, Rapture 2024? Question mark. You know, he's been talking about it coming this in September. It's October. They were wrong again. And they'll be wrong again next year. And so are they ever, somebody's going to get it right eventually. I don't know. I sometimes think these people are making God delay is coming. I don't know. That's just, that's just how I think. But... No, they're not going to get... And listen, if, if you guess a thousand times and then you finally get it right, you still stink. You got it wrong a thousand times. Even if you did ten times. Okay, you know, just Nobody's going to be able to take credit. Nobody, nobody's got this stuff figured out. If you guess enough days, eventually somebody's got to get it right. Okay, you know, we get 365 guesses on what calendar day it is. And if we all did that, it would probably come on February 29th. But anyway... But Matthew twenty four twenty four, for there shall rise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. 
Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. For as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And you know what we're seeing right here? When Christ returns, you won't need to ask if it was His return. People want to debate whether or not 70 A.D. was Christ's return. If you have to ask, it wasn't His return. If you have, it, it, Nobody has to discuss, is this the Christ? No. When He comes, we're going to know it. Now, we will always probably be like, I wonder if that's the Antichrist. I wonder if this guy's the Antichrist. Every president, every new pope that comes along, you know, well, is this a false prophet? We're always going to be wondering that, but let me tell you something. When the Messiah, when, when Jesus Christ returns, we won't have to ask. So just remember that. Don't, have, don't anybody ever send me a video about some dude asking if it's the Messiah. Don't ever come to me saying, hey, I heard about this guy. I was wondering if, what your thoughts are, if he can be the Messiah. If you have to ask, it's not the Messiah. Just mark it down. If you have to ask, it's not the Messiah. And if you have to ask, it was not his return. Jesus is making it very clear. You will know. Paul made it very clear. He talked about him destroying Satan at the brightness of his coming. But yet, what people like to talk about this, this is written by Josephus in AD 75. He said, besides these signs, a few days after that feast, on the one and twentieth day of the month, Artemisius, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those that saw it and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For before sunsetting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running among the clouds surrounding of cities. Moreover, at that feast, which we called Pentecost, as a, well, it happened during one of the Jewish feasts. That's got to mean something, right? As the priests were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was to perform their sacred ministrations, they said that in the first place they felt a quaking and heard a great noise. And after that they heard a sound as of a great multitude saying, Let us remove hence. Was that, the rat? Was that it? That was the glorious appearing? That was the rapture? They see soldiers running around in the sky? And they heard a voice in the temple that said, let us remove hence. That was the rapture. That stunk. Where's the dead rising? Where are the angels coming and gathering the elect? Where is the Lord coming and destroying the Satan with the brightness of His coming? None of that stuff happened. You know why? Because Jesus didn't come back in 70 AD. Israel wasn't ready. They had not done what he, Jesus wanted them to do. They did not have a people of all nations. Nothing of the temple was able to get people, it was not able to get people ready. It didn't make people acceptable. None of the things that Jesus wanted was there. And when, if, if he came at all during that time, it was only in judgment. And you can convince me, it, I'm fine. I, I, I will agree that probably happened. Chariots running around the sky, all that. But let me tell you, it wasn't the glorious appearing. It wasn't the rapture. It wasn't the resurrection. You know what? If it was anything, it was judgment on Jerusalem. Here's another account of that. A supernatural apparition was seen. Too amazing to be believed. What I am now to relate, what I imagine be dismissed as imaginary, had it not been vouched for by eyewitnesses, then followed by subsequent disasters that deserve to be thus signalized, for before sunset... Chariots were seen in the air over the whole country and armed battalions speeding through the clouds and encircling the cities. But again, what happened? Nothing. Nothing. And he said, do you believe that event happened? Hey, I'll give it to him. It happened. But it wasn't the rapture. It was not the glorious appearing. It was not the resurrection of the dead. And people are, they are, people are being deceived into thinking stuff like that was the coming of Christ. Folks, when Jesus Christ returns... We will know it. We, not only will we know it, we will see it. Not only will we see it, they will see it. Behold, He comes with clouds, and every eye shall see Him. That's what the Bible actually teaches. But unfortunately, theologians have changed what these things are, and what the Bible describes is going is to happen is going to happen. While we should always be watching, more importantly, we should always be working and being about our Father's business. Don't get distracted 
from that. Folks, that is, ultimately that is how we watch. We go about our father's business. What did God want Israel to be doing at his coming? Well, he wanted them to be a light to the world, for one. They weren't doing that. When Jesus Christ comes, I, I hope he finds us actively soul winning as a church. I hope he finds that. That's something he wants. I hope he finds us at, you know, actively getting people saved. You know what else he wanted at his return, at his coming, at his first coming? He wanted a righteous people. Now, unfortunately, none of them were able to get any righteousness by the law, but we have the righteousness by faith in Christ. If you're saved, you got that part taken care of. But he also wants to find us actively working. He wants to find us being good husbandmen, being good stewards of what he has given us. Unlike Israel, who when he went to that fig tree, you know how much fruit he found on there? None, and he cursed the fig tree. There was no fruit on the fig, on Israel at Christ's first coming. But you know what I want when Christ returns? I want to find a lot of fruit. Not just all over the earth. I want to find fruit here. I want to find fruit related to this church. Fruit related to my life. And I believe he, and I believe he will if we keep on preaching the gospel. Don't get distracted from that. Don't let false prophets use your interest in seeing Jesus to distract and deceive. When Jesus comes back, I want him to find me busy doing the work. I want to be occupying till he comes. Not just existing, not just surviving. I want him to find me active, working. In fact, it would be okay if, it, if we were so busy doing his work, we were surprised at his coming. I don't think it's going to play out that way, but you know what? That would be great. I would, I would love for Jesus Christ to just sneak up and return. And I, and I was too busy working to realize it was about to happen. But either way you look at it, I do believe he told us to watch because he gave us some things to watch for. And we need to watch for those things. And you know what? Let no man deceive you. Jesus Christ is coming back just as sure as he came the first time, just as sure as the Red Sea parted, just as sure as all these other things. He is coming back. And so we ought to be excited about that. And let's not let anyone deceive us on these things. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for these promises in your word. I pray you help, Lord, as we uh, just kind of renew these things in our mind tonight, that it will just motivate us to uh, not just be right on our facts so we can be lifted up with pride, but Lord, but it will just motivate us to stay busy or that we will uh, actively be serving and uh, doing your will when you return. I pray that you will find us watching. In your name we pray. Amen.